an aging parent. You know, the kids have absconded to the city, you know, started a family. Parents are, you know, getting older, so they build a cottage for a parent. So the parent may be financing the cottage and the parents selling their house in Florida or something. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 90 with Bruce Parker. Bruce is the founder and lead designer of Microhouse, a company that designs backyard cottages and small houses in Seattle. As members of the tiny house community struggle to legalize tiny houses around the country, many cities are already making it easier to build smaller homes in the backyards of existing houses. These can take multiple forms. Sometimes they are called mother-in-laws. Sometimes they're called ADUs. Uh, In Seattle, they're specifically called DADUs or DADUs. And I asked Bruce on the show because he has been involved in designing many of these DADUs from both the site planning to the legalities and everything in between. Now, when we think about tiny houses as an affordable option, these DADUs in Seattle aren't exactly what you might expect. You might have sticker shock when you hear how much some of them cost, but I still think it's an important thing to learn about because the chances are that your city or state has an existing law on the books that allows accessory dwelling units. And this is a path that tiny house advocates are taking for legalization. I hope you stick around. But first, I'd like to tell you about the sponsor for today's episode, Tiny House Decisions. Tiny House Decisions is the super helpful guidebook that I wrote five years ago to share all of the knowledge and decisions that I made to build my own tiny house, along with what I did right, what I did wrong, and how I would change things. The guidebook is now in its second edition. It's been completely rewritten and expanded to reflect how tiny houses are being built today. And it also includes several new tiny house stories from other tiny house dwellers. The guidebook has been expanded to include things like SIPs and metal framing and all the different kinds of insulations that are being used in tiny houses. And I seriously think this is the most helpful thing you can buy if you are thinking about living in a tiny house. If you go through the guidebook from start to finish, you will have a solid plan for all the systems and everything that's going to go into your tiny house. The second edition has been a long time in the making, and I'm really excited to share it with the world. To learn more, you can head over to thetinyhouse.net slash THD. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash THD. All right, I am here with Bruce Parker. Bruce is the founder and lead designer of Microhouse, an award-winning collaborative passionate about the design of backyard cottages, small houses, and their communities. Bruce has 20 years of design experience on all aspects of residential and commercial design. His background in engineering has led to a holistic design approach that seeks to balance the often conflicting goals of development and natural systems. Bruce Parker, welcome to the show. Great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. I was hoping we could just start off real basic and start with what is a a DADU, or I keep saying DADU. Sure. And most people do say DADU, and um, it's a, a detached accessory dwelling unit, so that's the, the acronym DADU. Um, in Seattle, most commonly known as Backyard Cottage, so that kind of uh, denotes what it is. So it's um, a 
a dwelling unit that is detached from a primary residence. So the two important things are it's detached and it, there is a primary residence on the property. So the, the backyard cottage is an accessory accessory structure dwelling unit. So, um, and they've been, uh, in, in Seattle, they've been allowed throughout the city uh, since 2009. So there was a kind of a pushback then. There was a demonstration period and then went um, full citywide as far as, as allowing them. And uh, they've been, uh, I want to say popular, but uh, increasingly, increasingly popular here in the city with uh, rising housing costs and um, boy, with uh, a lot of conversations about uh, affordability and, and equitability in housing. So the backyard cottages allow, you know, more and to allow the city to increase density and kind of a, in a kind of a benign, a benign way allows families to uh, kind of expand and shrink. And it allows, uh, you know, just kind of just more people to live closer to amenities, uh, particularly amenities that families are interested in, like parks and schools and, um, you know, close proximity to the downtown. Got it. So I'm curious how you see it as addressing affordable housing. Is it that they become, oftentimes they become rental units in a place that's already dense, and so it adds adds more housing to somewhere that that there's a limited supply. That that is yeah that is correct. So it it's it's somewhat uh, the effect is somewhat uh, muted by because they are it's new construction new construction is expensive to build. So what we generally end up creating is market rate housing proponents uh, from the city would would uh, would argue that if you kind of look on average at what they're rented for they're rented at less than market rate and that's I think on average because oftentimes it'll be a family member or 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 um you know or a friend of the family living in the cottage so then the city is saying well we're providing those people that are living in the cottages aren't competing for other housing elsewhere so that's a it's a, a net a net positive, even if it's not directly affordable. In or I guess it, it, it's still market rate. I guess is is the thing, but but again, oftentimes they're rented for less than market rate. Okay, is there any um, provision that would allow somebody to actually sell their their dadu and like kind of subdivide their lot into two two owned houses? Sure. So the um, uh, on one level, no. It's it's always an it's always an accessory to the to the primary. However, it, it, if it's if it's in um, well, I guess in I guess in any zone, but in in Seattle and and apparently Portland as well, and uh, I think Vancouver, BC, also the city controls. There's the city wants one limits it to one entity uh, that of ownership. However, if that entity is a condominium association, you could have multiple owners in that condominium or co-op uh, association that would own, you know, their own parts. So, becoming increasingly common to have a, a backyard cottage and a house uh, sold separately. Interesting. So then, then it does. There is potential for 
people to own these more affordable, smaller homes, not just rent them? Well, and that's, yes. And I and I think that's important because if you were to say have a a house and then you built a backyard cottage and you built the backyard cottage at, at, at market market rates, if someone went to sell that house, the the combined value of the two, of course, is more than than the original house. So you've added value to the house, which would make it that much less attainable for somebody with modest means to to buy because you've created a, a more valuable piece of property. Once you can divide the property, then you know, then you're creating, then you are creating a small house on a small lot that is moderately priced compared to the market. So that's, and I think that's why they're. You know, it's, it's popular to, or that's why it's a popular new trend, and I think that's why people will continue to do that, and I think that will actually benefit the the market. Yeah, I I agree. I think it it's going to take some time to kind of soak in, but I'm guessing you know they've been around now for ten years, so mm-hmm. have is there measurable impact? Um, so I think the city, you know, so depending on on how you're counting exactly in timelines. There's there's been about four hundred and fifty, I think four hundred and fifty seven, I think, when they were doing the the study the last kind of studies built in Seattle, which is not a big number compared to the number of households in Seattle. So from that standpoint, it's not a huge impact. The city is a uh, city of Seattle that is is making uh, some changes intended to increase the number of backyard cottages being built. So um, we'll, I guess their goal is, you know, 4,000 backyard cottage units in the next, uh, you know, kind of a 10-year 10 10 year window. Still not huge, but they, I think, um, as opposed to other types of housing, they can provide some things that other types of housing, like multifamily apartment buildings, and that, you know, wouldn't provide, again, talking about, proximity to certain amenities. The Seattle recent code changes increased the allowable size from 800 square feet to 1,000, which, you know, the argument there was to make it a little more suitable for a family. And certainly now I'm designing just, you know, currently two cottages for families, well, actually for ones for a family of four and ones for a family of five. Within that thousand square feet, which is a lot more you know, is a lot more doable in a thousand than it was in eight hundred. So that extra kind of extra couple hundred square feet as a as a bedroom. So that's that's a that's also a positive change. Great, yeah. I was I was reading up on your blog before before the interview, and I saw the latest post kind of says about the new the new code changes. So have other than the increase in square footage are they trying to make it easier yeah so the the city it, it's a you know it's a bureaucracy so in some regards they're limited to to what they can do but the the they and they have taken steps to 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 speed up the permitting timeline so that has actually been pretty effective they have the ability to prioritize backyard cottages in the review cycle with the city. So that's sped up. Uh, actually, it's cut the city, kind of the city sitting on it review time about 50%. So that's that's a pretty big thing. 
And then the city is also proposing standard using standard plans and further streamlining the process. So from that standpoint, the I guess the there would well I don't know I I think it waits to be seen whether the city can reduce the timelines further, but that's the the promise is that they will make it make it easier and therefore save save money for people uh, wanting to build backyard cottages. Interesting. So you, so people kind of choose from a set of basically pre-approved plans and, and skip some of the red tape. Yeah, that's the promise. Um, but I mean, I could, I could talk at great length about it, but the, the part of the plan that's uh, standardized is not the part that's slowing down the review process, I guess, if you will. Okay. I'm guessing there's just multi-layers of bureaucracy from water to power and sewer and building code and just everything. Exactly. exactly. And you're building a new house. So, um, you know, I think if you have that expectation, it, 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 I don't know. It's mostly frustrating if you want it to happen quickly, if you accept the fact that it's going to take a little while. It's kind of like watching a pot boil sort of thing. It, it, it just kind of, it kind of percolates and takes a little bit of time, but it definitely the, there's room for improvement within the system and, and some, some improvements have been made already. What's the, the smallest is, or is there a minimum square footage? Um, well, it, I guess 120 square feet. So I don't know where your normal listeners would, you know, how they, how they fall on. Um, but the 120 square feet would be the smallest, but, the smallest uh, I've personally designed is, um, I guess I have a, a footprint of, I mean, you know, it's like 450 square feet. So it, depending on which realm you're dwelling, it's either seen, it's either really small or really large, <laughs> depending on which group you're talking to. Um, so, but the, um, the cost is, you know, these are houses with foundations and full utility connections and they're, they're very expensive in, in a, good percentage or probably a larger percentage of those line um, of those cost is is the um foundation and site work so they're they're pretty expensive they're a, a big project for most people to take on most people once they they venture to do to do that then they end up maxing out they so like when it was 800 square feet most cottages were 800 square feet now that the code has changed to be a thousand square feet people are building a thousand square feet because that's kind of the best it's kind of you know so you're getting the best value for for the dollars you're spending on construction right your your cost per square foot maybe goes down a little bit exactly exactly so what what would be a realistic budget for for an 800 to 1000 square foot you know but dadu in seattle yeah so and you know with all the caveats and everything, what what I usually tell people if they have a if there's not any obvious um, uh, restrictions on their property or you know vi- environmental um, uh, constraints. So I usually say between uh, two fifty and and three fifty is kind of a off the cuff, but you can spend more. It's really hard to spend less. And the people that are spending less, than, in my experience, 
are you know doing a portion of the work themselves you know or or, or sometimes i mean people some people are really handy some people have construction experience some people they're doing it themselves some people are doing a part of that that work themselves some people are acting as a general contractor and subcontracting out um the work so it's it's um you know it's a it's a it's an ex, it's an ex, expensive endeavor in Seattle in part just because construction costs are very high here and then you know but on the other side the other the flip side of that is the the one cottage that I've designed that's recently sold separately sold for 529,000 so you know those people wow. were their own you know, their own GCs so you know, they built it for two hundred sixty thousand. They sold it for five twenty nine. That was a pretty good deal for them, even though it was expensive. Wow! And I'm sure that anybody who's not in a big city is going to just have a moment of sticker shock. You know, thinking about buying. Oh, exactly. Oh, you know, it's and, and it's 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 so true. It's like, oh, what are you? You're crazy. You know. So you know, and, and people, you know, so. Uh, in, to talk about the people that use backyard cottages, which I, I think is really interesting, or at least I just, I, I don't know, I, I get to work with really, really neat people all the time. But but a pretty common scenario is an aging parent, you know, the kids have absconded to the city, you know, started a family, parents are, you know, getting older, so they build a cottage for for a parent, you know, so the parent may be financing the cottage and the parent's selling their house in Florida or something. They're like, I built my big house in Florida and I can't even build a backyard cottage in Seattle. You know, I had a, I had a swimming pool, you know, sort of thing. So that sticker shock definitely, definitely occurs. And I imagine, you know, both Portland's definitely less expensive than Seattle as far as construction costs. And, but you can probably go to the Bay Area and, and other uh, metropolitan areas. I think you run into that same, same problem. Labor costs are high, materials. Yeah, are expensive. Do you know if if um, houses on wheels, tiny houses on wheels, are allowed at all in Seattle, or if there's any kind of move to try to include them under this provision? There, yeah. So there is. They're not. They're not allowed now. There has been, you know, there's been discussion about about. Um, having them or making provisions for them to be allowed it it hasn't hasn't happened yet i don't know if it if it will but and then there and there's people that are living in their tiny houses on wheels and and just kind of skating under the under the radar too but if for now they're not they're not allowed in seattle got it yeah and I've heard of a lot of cities where it is not allowed, but they're not actively kicking people out because they're trying to to figure out, you know, what is our policy? What do we want to, mm-hmm. how do we want to deal with these? Yeah, and I, I think most cases, well, I, I think in Seattle it would be a case if you were renting out and somebody actively complained right. that, you know, if they, if they had to send somebody out there, then they might, sure. <laughs> they might do something about it. Is there any, um, rules are there any rules about well preventing someone from kind of building one of these and just turning it into an airbnb hotel room there there are there are no um rules that would prevent you from from doing that so that's 
and that's um well you know so that that would obviously go run run counter to the goal of creating affordable housing um on the on the flip side those who are building backyard cottages really like having the flexibility of using short-term rentals and having that higher rate of return actually makes building a backyard cottage more viable for for many people right and you know it I would say a typical backyard cottage, like I say, I described the aging parent moving in. But, um, you know, other common uses are people, you know, renting them out, of course, or people building one as they, you know, downsizing into the backyard cottage and renting out their house. But oftentimes the the intended use of the cottage, you think you're building a house with a, you know, I don't know, 80, 100 year life, lifespan. A lot of you know people. There's multiple uses that are going to occur over that time, and but people like having that flexibility of having the short-term rental be be one of those. Yeah, there's no there's no question that the short-term rental is appealing, and you know, if I was a homeowner and I was doing this, I would certainly be thinking about that as a way to to recoup some of the investment. Yeah, and and like um, in Portland. I don't know if it passed, but, you know, so there's like, well, we're going to give the city, we're going to make it easier for you to build backyard cottages because we value that increased density and, and you know, ostensibly affordable housing, but, you know, excluding short-term rentals from that, those benefits. So I think, I don't know if it, I'm not sure where Portland is, but there was, they, they're wavering, waiving the fee, the development fees for backyard cottages, but I think the, the, the caveat was you had to you couldn't use it as a short-term rental if you were going to benefit from that. Seattle hasn't established anything like that, so it's uh, I would say short-term rentals or I don't know maybe fifty percent of the cottages have that somewhere in their lifespan of the cottages I work on. Right. Well, I'm you know just looking at your your previous work. There's such a fun collection of of building shapes and masses and colors. Uh, I'm curious if you have a, a favorite. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, thank you, first off. But um, I, I, I think I kind of fall in that whatever project I'm currently working on is my favorite. Okay. Um, you know, <laughs> there's, um, I, I guess I, I like the challenges. So I guess I have a soft spot for cottages that we that have really difficult challenging sites like on our website the east lake cottage was one that was really challenging site you know it's like a lot of grade change very limited space but we're able to make it work to to be a really neat neat cottage and really take advantage of of kind of all the all the constraints and potential so that's that's always kind of fun but yeah no i'm i'm a I'm a sucker for whatever project I'm working on. <laughs> and that's fun. And looking at the photos, it looks like you like to use open spaces inside to to give the feeling of spaciousness, even if the footprint is only you know fourteen by twenty. Yeah. So that so that, yeah, won't, that won't be a surprise to anybody that's lived in a tiny house. You know, so openness. So the you know kind of a general strategy of creating you know rooms within rooms without. Uh, necessarily putting up walls, you know, leaving things as open, you know, maybe changing the ceiling, um, you know, windows, 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 you know, anything you can do to open up to the outside, 
you know, extra height if you know if and when you can get it. Well, you'll see. So the the backyard cottages are limited in size, but they're also kind of gross square footage of the floor area. But they're also limited in height, so oftentimes we don't have a ton of height to play with. So you'll see in 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 our projects we have a lot of ceilings with exposed joists that make the ceiling feel taller uh-huh. than it than it would otherwise. And again, lots of lots of windows. Yeah, sorry. I'm sorry for the delay. I'm just kind of scrolling through and and I'm like, which one do I want to ask about? I was I was actually curious about the the Ballard Fisherman's Cottage. It looks like it's almost perched. Is it perched on top of something? It does. It does. It does look perched. It's perched on top of a, a workshop, and um, you know, so if in in the world of taking pictures, the workshop wasn't completed when I was taking pictures, so I haven't been I haven't been back. But that that particular project, and they all they're all different for different reasons, but. The, there was a concrete masonry unit garage there that the owner really wanted to save, and so you know the new the, the backyard cottage is built on top of that that old concrete masonry unit garage, which is now I mean I guess it's still technically a garage, but it's really a a bike workshop and storage for kayaks and you know it's just a um, it's actually pretty neat and well well thought out thought out space. But yeah, it looks it looks floating, but it's it is it is actually sitting on top of a, of a garage, and that's a fairly common thing. And as and I think most people would relate to when they think of backyard cottages, think of you know an apartment over a over a garage. Although it's popular, but it's not maybe as common as you might think, just because the cost is so high that it becomes too expensive. You know that garage space just becomes too expensive, <laughs> so people the, the car actually gets value engineered out of a lot of these and and they become all living space that's, that's so interesting the the like the land is worth so much that it's just not worth it to take up that space by parking your car inside yeah exactly yeah so if somebody wanted to you know wanted to do this what's the process how do they get started yeah so for us, what we do, and I mean, I think, you know, the first, the first step is, of course, you know, reviewing your property to make sure that you can build a backyard cottage. And Seattle has very specific rules. You know, all, all municipalities have somewhat similar rules, but they're all different. So we usually do a phone, a phone or an email screening where we take a look at the project and kind of run through what their goals are versus what they have on their, on their property. and. You know, then from from that point of that, we, I guess we're kind of trying to kind of continually verify. So from that stage, we go to a point where we do a paid site visit, where we come out, we put together a schematic design, and have a contractor put together a budget for it. So in in that phase, we do a little contractor matching, and um, we choose contractors that have built cottages before that can provide a, an accurate budget range at, at that very schematic level. Again, if things look like, you know, it's viable, then we can move ahead into the full-blown design and permitting. And the, the permitting process does take a long time. There's a lot of dead time in it, but, you know, we that kind of, kind of start getting those preliminaries, you know, getting the survey and uh, uh, filing the preliminary application with the city. And, and so then there's, a, then there's kind of a process that that process usually takes about six months. So it's a, it's a pretty 
pretty long process until, you know, so, you know, gathering information, designing documentation, submitting to the city and having the city review it and getting a building permit, like I said, usually takes about six months. So it's the, you know, there's a lot of it, there's downtime in there too, but there's, there's hoops that have to be jumped through eventually. Got it. Well, one thing that I like to ask all of my guests is what are two or three resources? Um, well, I usually ask that I've inspired you on your tiny house journey. I'm curious if you have any um, books or designers or just things to recommend when it comes to designing these smaller cottages and, and homes. Yeah, well, um, well, there's, you know, of course, books, you know, there's, there's some great tiny house books out there. There's tons of information online now. But but beyond kind of looking at pictures, you know, going and staying in tiny houses, I think is the best way to get a feel for them. And one of the, the pluses of short-term rentals is that there's, these are, there's this opportunity to stay in all these really interesting places when you travel and really see what they're like from, you know, like the tiny houses on wheels to, you know, backyard cottages and just you know, whatever, you know, apartment in, in Europe and just kind of see, you know, places where space is really at a premium and see how people have kind of creatively solved those problems. I think that for me, that's the, the best that and, you know, just kind of, you know, just kind of physically being there, kind of, you know, walking in, getting an impression, seeing what, seeing what works um, as far as, you know, generally, you know, what, what makes it inviting, what makes it feel open, things like that. Great. Well, Bruce Parker, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. I, I really appreciate it. Oh, well, thanks, for, uh, thanks for, for chatting with me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you so much to Bruce Parker for being a guest on the show. You can find the show notes, including links to the resources that Bruce mentioned and photos of some of my favorite dadus that Bruce designed over at thetinyhouse.net slash 090. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash zero nine zero. But before we get to that, I'm super excited to let you know that my brand new coloring book, Color Me Tiny, is finally available. Are you fascinated with the tiny lifestyle but not sure if living one is for you? Relax and let your tiny dreams run wild while you color 15 unique tiny homes inside and out. The Color Me Tiny coloring book includes a variety of tiny houses on wheels and the beautiful nature that surrounds them. The images all come from real photos that highlight the broad range of tiny house shapes and sizes. Each featured home includes an interior scene to show what it's like to live in that tiny house day after day. So whether you want to color a tiny Vardo on the beach, a cozy tiny house on wheels nestled in the snow, or several homes that feature their four-legged occupants, Color Me Tiny is for you. I'm offering a special discount and that lasts for another few days. Uh, I want to make sure that this is something that you can give as a gift this holiday season to the tiny house lover in your life, or maybe it's just a gift for you. To learn more, head over to thetinyhouse.net slash color. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash color, where you'll learn more about my new coloring book, Color Me Tiny. I can't wait for you to start getting creative with this and can't wait to see what you come up with. 